Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. Is agorism an ideal that would mesh with the teachings of Christ? Is agorism and anarchism similar, or are they two different ideals? Is agorism, as understood by non-Christians, the same as Christian agorism? In today's show, we are going to try and answer these questions. We've had several folks reach out and ask to do a show on agorism, but my knowledge of that topic is extremely limited. So it was perfect timing when Joshua, the host of our Foundations podcast, reached out and asked if we would be interested in doing the show, and I jumped at the opportunity. So before we get started on this, why don't you give us a little background of yourself, tell people that might not be familiar with you uh, a little bit about yourself, So, and then we'll get into these questions that we posed in the intro. Okay, yeah. So my background, I really started digging into, I guess uh, the short version would be, I started digging into economics and political theory, that kind of stuff, maybe five years ago or a little more. I was a Christian at the time as well. And so I uh, started digging into some deeper Bible studies. I got a job where I could listen to audio content all day long. So I was just zooming through all these audiobooks and podcasts and all this stuff and hit the point after a few years where I had learned so much stuff and I knew a lot of stuff, but it was hard to find a place where all this stuff was all connected. And I was starting to see how all these things from Christianity and theology to blockchain and cryptocurrency, to the education system, to uh, libertarianism and political philosophy. And all of these things were so related, but I was having a hard time finding a way, an outlet where all of that stuff was connected and done so in a way that I could see all those connections pretty easily. And so I ended up uh, doing my own podcast and trying to do that, trying to lay that out and how all these things are connected. What's the evolution of the systems in our society? And how did that get us to where we are today? You know, everything from history to conspiracy and corruption to modern alternative movements. And going along through that process, I came across the idea of agorism. And uh, you'll hear it referenced as agorism or agorism, like you pronounced it. Uh, I don't know if there is a correct way or not. Most people say agorism, but because of the definition, I stick to agorism. And, and that would just be because it's based on the root word agora in Greek. And so that's kind of just the way I go. But really learning about agorism and the background on that and the philosophy there, I saw how that was very related to the things I was digging into related to political philosophy and theology and the early Christian church and those teachings. And I was seeing how all these things are very similar. And so that's where I started developing this idea of Christian agorism. And so far as I know, that hasn't really been talked about much or developed much. I've searched for Christian agorism and that content and that stuff. I found one random website and I can't even track down who did the website from years ago. Um, but that's something that I've been trying to develop myself and that I feel is 
very important in today's day and age with everything that's going on now, much less all the stuff that is likely coming down the pike here in the near future. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from here. Interesting. So I'm curious. So do you consider yourself an anarchist or an agorist? And, and I, we'll get into this a little bit because I've, I, I want to know what the difference in the two are. Like I said in the intro, my understanding of agorism, since we're going to call it agorism, <laughs> is very limited. So I'm, I'm really kind of curious, do you consider yourself both or one or the other? Uh, I, I guess the only thing I know for sure is I pretty much have dropped the label of libertarian. <laughs> I, I, I would relate to both um, an agorist or... An anarchist, I would say more my political philosophy is leaning towards anarchism, but agorism would probably be more how I would identify. And yes, there are some differences there. So uh, I would definitely lean more towards agorism, even though tied into that is just the fact that I don't believe we should have other men ruling over other men. And I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's moral. I don't even think it's practically a good way to run a society. And so, yes, I am anarchistic from that perspective as well. Okay. So is, is like, I guess we're, we'll get into this question first and the difference in the, in the two, because is, are you, are you saying like anarchism is more of a political philosophy and, and agorism or agorism is more of like a, just a way of life? Yeah, yeah. I think it's more like that. You have the idea of anarchism just means no ruler. And so it's this political philosophy that there shouldn't be human beings ruling over other human beings. And, you know, you can, again, pr approach that from many different angles, from the moral to the practical to the religious, whatever. But that is anarchism. And agorism was started by a man, Samuel Edward Konkin III, uh, a lot of people just refer to him as Konkin or S-E-K-3 if you're looking it up online and see those initials. But the idea of agorism was basically like applied radical libertarianism in a sense, where it was how do you operate outside of the system as much as possible? Because we see that the system is corrupt. We see there are a lot of potential negative effects that the system has, as well as potential issues the system may have in the future. And so in order to get out of that, and in Konkin's view, in order to combat that, he thought that the best way to do that would be to largely operate in gray markets or black markets, basically outside of the system. And he had a philosophy that was pretty in line with the NAP, the non-aggression principle, and that would be that red markets should never be entered into. Red would be anything involving violence. So that could be everything from theft, war, anything like that. You should never participate in those markets. But even if something is illegal, it's the black market, he thought that was a perfectly viable way to interact and transact with people in gray markets where it's not necessarily illegal, but it's also not part of the mainstream system. And so just overall, it's this idea of how do you live? How do you transact? How do you communicate? How do you do all these things without being involved in not only the state system, the governmental system, but also the corporate system? And uh, you know, in today's world, those are meshed together so much that you can't even really separate the two. And so th that was his idea. And his idea of fighting the system would be that 
if you are not participating, if you are not transacting within, if you're not doing these things in connection with the system, then you're not really paying the money to the system either. They're not getting all their taxes out of you. If you have a transaction off the books, obviously that's not recorded on taxes. If you grow your own food, obviously you're not going to pay taxes on that. And so the more you operate outside of the system, the less you are supporting these giant mega corporations, they're not making their profits, and the less you're supporting the state by not giving them their money to finance their you know, overseas drone strikes of innocent civilians. And so if that's something you want to do, then agorism would be a very viable way of achieving that. So I guess it's kind of like applied anarchism in a sense. Interesting. So I'm curious, I think that sounds like something that we're always talking about abolish the state or we want the state to go away. And it sounds like that. It seems like it would be the best way about going about it, you know, because once you, they stop finding ways to take our money from us, then they don't really have, they can't sustain themselves. I mean, I don't think they can sustain themselves at the rate they're going anyway. You know, you're, you're going to eventually run out of other people's money at some point. But I think if they start losing that funding, I say funding loosely, but when you when they start losing that money, they cannot. I don't know. I don't know if it make them more oppressive to where they would start finding ways to start taxing what we're doing. Is if, if we were going to go the agorist route or the anarchist route, but I don't know. It's kind of it's an interesting topic. Like I said, it's something that I don't know enough about, which is I'm really excited about doing this today. Yeah, I feel like oh, one issue with that is that. Regardless of the societal impact and whether or not you can defeat the state and overthrow the state and set up some anarcho-capitalistic system, which I would assume probably a lot of your listeners are more on the anarcho-capitalist side. Regardless, if you believe in anarchy, you want that applied in your society writ large. Unfortunately, you probably have very little impact on that. And so the one thing that you have a lot of impact on is your own life and your own family in your own very small local community. That is something you can have an impact on. That's something you can have control over. And so if you apply agorism within your own life, then you can see those kind of anarchist principles and those realities play out in your own life, at least to a certain extent. And that is where you can have true success. And as you're having success with that, other people will see that and see the merit of that. You can basically preach your philosophy to people. And again, this should uh, sound very familiar with the New Testament church and Jesus' teachings and the book of Acts. This is what it was all about. It was all about, yes, you are living within Rome. You're part of that system. But we are operating in our own kingdom. The kingdom of God is separate than the kingdom of man. And so within the kingdom of God, this is our system within the system. And our goal to fight these corrupt man-made systems, the kingdom of man, is not to rebel. It's not to take up arms. That's not what we do. In fact, actually, we submit in many different areas to the state. And even if it's wrong, even if they are doing something to us that we can prove is immoral, like Jesus said, if someone is stealing from you, if they are forcing you to do something, you go ahead and do it. And not only do that, but you give them even more. And so this is a very radical philosophy here, but it becomes very obvious, like when you look at Romans 13, how if you apply that same mentality to the state, 
just like Paul did, then yes, of course you're going to submit to the state. And that's part of it. And of course, in our daily lives, if you or I decide that, hey, I'm not going to pay my taxes because the government is doing unconstitutional, immoral things, and I am going to stand up against this and take my stand here. And even if I'm not picking up arms against the state, even if I'm just going to that extent, I will get crushed and I don't stand a chance. And so it's the same as the early church. If they stood up against Rome in that way, regardless of the moral implications of that, that would not be successful. And so if you really want to have an impact on society and on the societal system, it begins on the individual level. And not only is that agorism, that is original Christianity as well. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from, where Uh, the main focus in my mind is applying these things in our own lives so it can have a true impact on a scale that we can actually see. Let's talk about that a little bit, because I'm always, always a big fan of talking about the early church. Give us some examples of what you've seen. If if, if you've done any study on the, on the early church and give us some examples of how you've seen this applied, because that was one of the questions in the intro. Is it something that would mesh with the teachings of Christ? And I think you've already laid that out. But let's let's get some examples of what you've what you've seen in your studies of this that, that you've saw or you you could see happening with the early church as far as agorism was concerned. Yeah, yeah. So one of the good examples, I think, because it comes up a lot when you talk about anarchy and how would that really work in the real world? What about courts? How would those work? And that's a specific issue that gets addressed both by Jesus and within the New Testament church. And Jesus says, make sure you settle your disputes before you have to go to the secular courts. And you don't want to be involved in the secular court system. That could go very poorly for you. You know, he insinuates that you can get arrested and all these kinds of things. And, you know, that's not the road you want to go down. But instead, you settle your things individually with a person outside of the state system. And then you get to the New Testament church, and there is a clear layout of how you deal with disagreements and with issues and conflicts within the church. And it's the same thing, of course, because, you know, they're following Jesus's teachings. And the first thing you do is you address that individual individually. And if that doesn't work, then you bring in a few other people. And if that doesn't work, then you get the wider church involved with that. But even at that point, you are still handling your disputes and your conflicts within the church. The church is operating as the court system. And so you don't need the state court system. You don't even want to be involved in the state court system. And here is an alternative to that, and that is called the church. And so there are a lot of things like this. You can look at welfare, for example. The state takes care of the poor. And let's, let's even just assume that all these rosy, rainbow, rainbow and unicorn views of the state are actually true. We can assume that and that they truly do take care of the poor and they're taking care of those that are in need, supplying them with shelter and food and all these things. We can pretend that that's true for now for this argument. Even if that's true, Jesus says, you are not to give your money to the state so that they can play this role and take care of those in need. No, you do that yourself. You individually support those that are in need in whatever way that you can. And that is your role. You have a responsibility to do this. It's not just that this is the ideal. That's what you're commanded to do. And that's an individual thing. And if there is a corporate involvement, it's not the state. That's not the group. 
it is the church. And the church should operate in a large way as the state operates today, because the church is the one who you would pay your taxes to, so to say, taxes and quotes, maybe your tithes and your offerings. And the church uses that for the welfare of those in need. The church is the welfare system, not the state. So again, it's this idea of the church and the individuals within the church are the ones that should be doing these things and operating outside of the state system. And in doing so, do you even need a state system if you actually had a society living this out? And so like applying that to modern times, the church writ large right now is the majority at least is very statist. Uh, Patriotism is typically very rampant within the church and they do look at the government or if not the government, they look at their country, their nationality, their patriotism from that standpoint as having this position high up on the mantle. And especially in America, if the Christians in America viewed the church writ large in the same way they view their country writ large, then things would be totally different. And that's really the way it should be, because not only should the church be playing this role, uh, taking all these different parts that the state is responsible for now and doing them themselves, not only is that true on a practical level, but even beyond that, who do people put their faith in, their hope in to take care of society and to protect them? Well, it's the state right now, but it shouldn't be. It should be God. And who is God's representation on earth that is the church, that is the kingdom of God. But most people think of the church and it's the building that they go to, or it's their denomination. Or if they think of the church writ large, it's not this idea of the kingdom of God that's set forth in the Bible. No, it's that, oh, well, they're wrong about this and they baptize the wrong way and they're doing these weird rituals over there. And you know those guys aren't real Christians. And there is no unified church. The kingdom of God does not I hate to say this, but in a way, the kingdom of God does not exist in that current representation the way that it is supposed to, according to Jesus and the New Testament. And that is a travesty. That's that's horrible. That's very bad because Jesus set up the kingdom of God in the New Testament church. That is the first thing he went around preaching. Same with John the Baptist. They were preaching repentance and the kingdom of God. And that was the good news. That was after Jesus was baptized. He started preaching this good news and he hadn't been resurrected yet. That wasn't the good news. And later on, that would be part of the good news that was preached. But at this point in time, right after being baptized, what the heck is the good news? Well, number one, it could be the coming of the Messiah, but he hadn't come out as the Messiah yet. And even when his disciples finally realized he was the Messiah, he told them, don't tell people about this. And so I don't think that he was going around preaching that he was the Messiah at the time because the Bible actually says that he wasn't preaching that. So what the heck is the good news? Well, the only thing left is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. And this idea of being a part of the kingdom of God, repenting of your sins, turning from those ways, turning to God, following his statutes, his morality, and doing this in a communal sense, gathering together with other believers and creating this kingdom as ambassadors, as representatives, that's what we are to do. And so, yes, I think that definitely agorism fits in line with the teachings of Jesus and the examples of the early church, because it's, it's in a sense the same 
the same thing. Like, I don't even really need to say Christian agorism. I use that title because, you know, it sounds good and it ties in and people that know what agorism is can really get the idea pretty quickly. But that should be the idea of Christianity, period, of the church, period. But unfortunately, in today's world, it's not. And so instead, we have to develop a new term for that, call that Christian agorism, and basically get back to the roots of, uh, at least in my opinion, of what was actually taught from Jesus and executed by the early church. Excellent. While we were talking, I was thinking about something. So many Christians want to try and outsource what, like you said, Jesus already commanded us to do, and they want to outsource us to the state. And now let's pretend the state is going to use the money that we want them to use it for as Christians. That's not what Jesus told us to do. It, just like you said, we're supposed to be doing it ourselves anyway. And I don't know if it's, I don't know where it comes from, if it's from laziness. I don't know how, what, what happened along the way that they got away from that. Because if you look at the early church, they were working on the fringes of society and they were working to help the people, help the poor, help each other. They worked together without any involvement with the state. And I don't know how it got to where it is. And I don't know if it's laziness. I don't know if it's complacency or what, but it's gotten so bad with Christians these days because even even if the state was doing what we wanted them to do with the money and not using that money to spend billions and trillions of dollars on war, murdering people across the, across the world, that's not how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be doing it ourselves. To, to And if you can look at the evils of the state and to think that they're going to take that money and use it how you want them to use it, that's just asinine. It makes no sense that you can make that any make that logical in your head. And I, it's so frustrating to me, especially talking to Christians. And that's one thing. Another thing that spurred this project that we're doing is basically our frustration with Christians. You know, non-Christians are going to do what they're going to do. But I think if Christians got back to that point, like the early church and the teachings of Christ, we would see such a difference in this world. But they're so they're so entangled with all of it, and they want their favorite politician or their favorite whoever to do it for them. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, definitely. And if you look at the the modern time period, I know you were talking about how the church corrupted over time, and there you know are definitely cycles of that with the church getting all the way up into Constantine and Rome, and you know there are these uh, repeating cycles of the church basically getting more and more centralized and more and more bureaucratic and then getting more and more corrupt as that happens. And then you have these different cycles, such as the Reformation. This happens over and over again. But the the modern iteration of that, I think a lot of that has to do with our education system and our culture and our society today, because people are taught to consume. People are taught to do what is easy and convenient. People are led to be entertained. And people are also taught from a very young age to trust everything that that person in the front of the room teaching your class says. The teacher knows everything about what they say, of course. You know, how, how would the teacher be wrong? That's the teacher. Come on. And the textbook that you read from, of course, that is completely accurate. It's not leaving anything out, has all the information there, everything you need to know. But uh, don't worry about actually understanding any of it. Just go ahead and memorize it for a little while, spit it back out, prove to us that you read it and you at least halfway get it, and then we can move on and go on. And so this is the culture that people are raised in, in the public education system, and even coming out of that, a lot of times that 
appeal to authority gets transferred from the authority of the school and the authority of the teacher to the authority of the state. And looking at uh, current times right now, a lot of that is getting transferred to the authority of the experts. It's the idea of trust the experts. You know, of course, the experts are right. And, you know, again, you know, how the heck Bill Gates, who was a tech entrepreneur that uh, even going back into his background on tech was pretty shabby. But even if you give them that, say he was a genius in tech, he's not a health expert. But of course, people are trusting the experts and Bill Gates is the one to tell us what to do with our public health policy. And it just, you know, like you say, logically, that doesn't make any sense. But that's the culture we're in. And so when people are delegating their Christian responsibilities to the state and to other people, it fits in line with all of these things. They are consuming the products of the state by paying for it with their taxes and getting these benefits in return. It's even like entertainment. Look at the whole presidency of Donald Trump. Like It doesn't get much more entertaining than that. And so they view politics and the news as their entertainment. The news plays that role much more than it does in educating the public sense. And so you have that entertaining aspect. It's much more convenient to put these responsibilities onto the state or onto some organization or some nonprofit or just someone else, as long as I don't have to do it. Here, take this money and uh, do what I'm supposed to do. Do something good with it. And so it's like all of these aspects are wrapped up in this thing that's happening in modern culture where all of our responsibilities are getting outsourced to other people while in general, the public, even the Christian public, and especially the Christian public, is sitting on their butts. They are consuming. They are being entertained. They are doing what they have to do and focusing on themselves. And their Christianity is very segmented. It's this one little segment of their life is to go to church. And you know, if we're lucky, they're involved in a small group or Bible study or something like that. But that's about it. It, it doesn't really It's not infused into the whole rest of their life. It's not this holistic approach like Christianity was in the early days. Everything from economics to their political views to their views on helping the needy, all of these things were all wrapped up. It was their life. And that is not what we have today. And some of that really has to do with our culture, our current society, the education system. Again, a lot of these things are factoring into why people act the way they do right now. I blame main or not main. Well, I blame mainstream media for a lot of things, but I blame uh, reality TV. You mentioned uh, Donald Trump and when all that was going down, when he was being nominated, it looked like a reality show to me and how people were just the and the way they were latching on to it. And then it just continued to be a reality show the entire time. Like it was a mockery of the system, which to me is kind of funny anyway. I mean, it's, it's kind of now looking back, it's kind of funny because he kind of made a mockery of the whole thing. And then it turned into like a WWE, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's all fake. And you can realize how fake it is by watching how it's going down. And I remember when, when reality TV started just kind of getting popular, I was thinking, this is stupid. I don't know how people and people can sit down and watch this stuff. And then, if they just later started making more and more reality shows and then just more and more and more. And then it got into politics and here we are. I don't think it's going to change. I think it might get worse on that, on that aspect of, you know, with Biden being uh, elected and now inaugurated, I don't see any difference. I mean, he, some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth sounds like something off a reality show. So I think if people just turn the TV off 
and got to just a fellowship with uh, with other Christians and got back in the Bible, I think things would, we would see some positive uh, results come from all of this. Yeah, and I think we're we're kind of primed for that too, because if you look at the average person, they don't really expect politics and politicians to solve the problems of the world. Everybody sees that politicians in general are corrupt. They never do what they promise. You know, all these stereotypes. It's a stereotype for a reason, because that's how most people view the world of politics. So that's not what they're expecting, even though in a sense, that's what they're doing. That's not what they actually believe. What they're actually doing is they just need an outlet to outsource their own responsibility, to outsource their sense of living a moral life, and they want to be entertained. And that is what politics is providing. It's providing pure entertainment, just like you said, it's obvious. It's also providing this way where if I stand behind ex-politician, they are standing up for these views of these good things that are very good and moral. And so by me supporting them, through that process, I am then outsourcing my morality to this other person. And that's the role that politics plays in modern society. Even if on the surface, people would say, oh, they're going to solve the world's problems and the world needs to change in this way and that. Therefore, like this person, that's not really what they're doing. Really, it's pure entertainment as they watch it and follow it. And it's a way to outsource their responsibility and their morality. And that's kind of where we are. Yeah. I think what I've seen, and it's it's getting worse with every election, is, and I guess I was the same way back when I was a status and, and when I was voting and involved with all that stuff. But I don't remember it being to this degree that people will look at politicians and, know, and admit that politics are corrupt and politicians are corrupt, the government's corrupt. But they're only seeing it on the other side as being corrupt. I, I could sit and have a conversation with a Trump supporter and go right down the list of unconstitutional acts that he's done, that he's committed since day one of his presidency, and they will fight you tooth and nail. But then you can point it out like what Obama was doing, and now Biden, and they'll agree with you. The tribalism aspect of this is just out of control to me because they can't, they're, they're so blinded by their own loyalty to one person or their team that they can't see what their team is doing. They're doing the exact same thing as the other team, but because it's somebody that they've committed to, they're not going to believe it. They're not going to believe it when you point it out to them. And it's so frustrating. It's maddening to me that to get into these conversations with these people, because I mean, you could show them, you could write it down for them. You could, I mean, and it's not going to register. And I just don't know. I don't understand. Like I said, I may have been the same way. I don't remember it being this because when I started after I started voting with George W. Bush, and I was a, a, a longtime supporter. But by the time of his his second term was over, I was exhausted. I was tired of supporting some of this stuff going on. You know, you get war weary. You know, we're talking, we've been in war for since what two thousand one now, and it's just it's it gets exhausting. So I don't know. Maybe I was, but it got to the point with me that when I had to when I finally took a step back and realized, okay. They're all the same. They're doing the same exact same thing. I'm not going to show any loyalty to these people anymore. Well, there's one thing that kind of ties in with that, and I'll do a shameless plug for something I'm doing right now. And that would be, I'm currently in my podcast. Uh, it's really interesting. I did an interview with a guy, Vin Armani is his name, and 
he's got this theory about how we're entering into a dim age is how he's calling it. But uh, previously on my podcast, season two of my show was all about looking at the parallel of the time of the Reformation and a lot of the different changes that were happening in society and with the church and comparing that to modern times in the state. And I did this pre-COVID and a lot of it uh, really proved to play itself out as COVID was hitting. But this idea of historical cycles, historical patterns, one of the things that Vin really addresses and that I'm exploring now in the current episodes I'm doing on my show is that we're entering into this cycle of you can call it mysticism or ideational thinking or magic or whatever you want to call it. But uh, societies tend to shift between being more material focused and immaterial focused. And so we are coming out of this material age. There are so many different, basically, social cycle theories of how this plays out by many different people. But uh, basically, you have these ages of materialism and a sensate culture all about the senses, do what feels good and uh, physical things. And I I think everyone can probably recognize that that would be our recent past of materialism being the goal for everybody and having all these physical things and gaining physical wealth. And it's all very based on that. And arguments are all based on facts and logic. That's very, it's very hard information. It's very material in a way. And what we are shifting into is a more immaterial phase, something that's more, another word would be ideational or something that's more mystical or spiritual. And we see this rise of people, a lot of people of you know major populations will claim to be spiritual. They'll, they'll say, yes, I'm spiritual, but they're definitely not Christian. They don't claim to be Christian and they don't really identify with any religion, but they say they're spiritual. And you have this this issue that comes up with arguments with people, especially with COVID, where I can show you scientific studies that show that wearing a cloth mask increases the rate of infection among a population. I can show that to you all day long. There are multiple studies that show this and, you know, plenty about the vaccine and other aspects of mask mandates and lockdowns and all this stuff. I can have charts and graphs and facts and data and all these things. And that's not going to win an argument. People don't care, unfortunately. And it's the same way with with Christians. I can show them in the Bible where God says, you setting up a human being to rule over you is a rejection of myself. I can show you in the Bible where God designs the ideal system of governance for a society and there is no government. I can show you in the Bible where Jesus talks about the church being the kingdom of God and how they should be fulfilling all of these roles and having nothing to do with politics. I can show you that in the Bible and that's not going to win an argument. And so with this idea of shifting into a more immaterial mindset, and that's really where we're going in our culture, it's, it's the same thing with going more digital versus physical things. Everything's going to the cloud. It's all technological and digital. Do you understand how the cloud works, how the technology of your cell phone works? No, we don't understand it. And in a way, that might as well just be magic. It's, it's this immaterial thing. You know, things happen behind the scenes, and yeah, it just happens, and it works. And so that is 
what our society is oriented around, especially since COVID. Everybody's going remote. Everything's going digital, even more so than it was before. You have the rise of AI. You have the rise of genetic modification. We are doing gene therapy. And you have this CRISPR technology. All of this stuff exists right now. And I guarantee you there's a lot more of it that exists behind the scenes that you know, I just can't say for sure because it's not factually, you know, out there as far as the evidence is concerned. But there's a lot going out here. And that's the idea of the vaccine for COVID. It's it's an mRNA vaccine, experimental, never been tried before. But the idea is that it's this technology where they inject you with something and it basically programs your body to react in a certain way. And that's not just this material approach to science where, you know, the vaccine, you take a dead virus, you inject it in them, your body naturally does what it naturally does because, you know, it's designed by God to have an immune system and to have these certain reactions and then you're immune to the virus. Well, that's what we think of as a vaccine. That's a very material view. That's not what this is. This is something where you're getting injected with messenger RNA that basically programs your DNA to have a certain reaction in order to limit the symptoms of this virus with who knows what side effects. It's completely experimental, and it's not even going to keep you from catching it. It won't keep you from transmitting it. It's not a vaccine by hardly any definition, but it's also a very immaterial approach, a more mystical, magical approach to science. Like, this does crazy. It's, it's, it's not just this standard you know, set way of doing things like we have done before. And that's the age we're shifting into. So uh, with pairing those things together, the vaccine to material versus immaterial, if I talk to a Christian about the things that I just said about the vaccine, and there's, you know, a million more things you could say about it, but I can present them with these logical, rational cases, and I can prove it to them scientifically that these are reasons why you don't want to take this that's not going to win the argument. It's not. They're, they're not going to be convinced by that. You know, maybe some will, but the vast majority will not. They're still just going to do what they're going to do. But if I talk to a Christian about how the vaccine is the mark of the beast and how it relates to things, uh, passages in Revelation and how, you know, you need this vaccine in order to participate in society, that will win an argument. And people resonate with that. Again, because we are entering into this more immaterial mindset, this more spiritual culture and society. And it's this really, I don't know, it's this really strange thing that's happening. And it doesn't make sense to us because we were raised with a material mindset. And that's how we try to win arguments is by the material and facts and logic, you know, of course, especially in the realm of, you could say, libertarians or anarchists or people of that nature they're very focused on facts and logic. And I'm very focused on facts and logic. But unfortunately, when I make an argument with somebody, um, and not necessarily arguing, but debate, try to prove a point to somebody, that is not going to be very successful if I approach it from that perspective. And that, in a sense, is evidence of this cultural shift where people are sensing that there is this need for filling this spiritual void. And we would say that everybody has a God-shaped hole inside of them. We recognize that God exists. We feel a need for God. We have this spiritual desire that needs to be satisfied. And people are sensing this much more now than they were in a more material 
culture and with that more material mindset, people are looking to fill that spiritual void. And unfortunately, this is largely getting filled by whatever you want to call it, political correctness or wokeism or whatever this is. We can call it the church of woke is how um, it's been referenced by me and other people that um, I'm working with right now. But it's this idea that they're providing this holistic religion that involves everything surrounding economics to morality, to politics, to your job, everything. And no one can go against this church because it is the dominant religion that runs our country. So it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, if you go against the church of woke and tell people not to get the vaccine or you're prescribing them um, ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or one of these other, you know, banned books, if you go back to the religious examples, if you are a heretic, then you will get fired and you can't get around that. And it doesn't matter what field you're in. If you're a teacher and you're telling your students things that go against the politically correct view you will get fired. If you are a politician and you say that marriage is a biblical institution between a man and a woman, you will not get elected or you'll get kicked out of office. And so you can't go against the church of woke because they run the country on every standpoint from every perspective. And so that's it's spiritual warfare. That's what we're fighting here. It's this more spiritual mindset, this age we're entering into. And it's just... I don't know. It's this totally different perspective that as of two years ago, you know, none of this stuff, none of it was anything that I was aware of. And really starting to dig into historical cycles I was already doing and then uh, looking into how we are shifting as a current society, looking into the problems with the church and how they're not meshing with biblical teachings and all of these things. And like you said, why aren't these logical arguments sitting in with people. Why isn't this working? It doesn't make sense. But when you take this perspective and see that we are having this cultural shift that's going on and see the more immaterial side of things, the spiritual side of side of things that's going on with how our culture and society is going right now, it makes a lot more sense. And we can understand what's going on in our world much better if we recognize that these shifts are happening behind the scenes. Yes. <laughs> yes. To all of that. I, uh, while listening to you talk, I was thinking about something. I've, I've started doing something with some of these posts you see on Facebook about, uh, they're, they're reporting the deaths and the new positive cases and this and that's so what I've done. But they've also, they're on the, on the side, they don't talk about them, but how many people recovered from COVID. And so what I've started doing, instead of focusing on the deaths or the new positive cases, I've been focusing on how many people have survived this. And almost immediately, I get backlash from people. Well, what about that one? That you, you wouldn't be saying that if, if uh, one of your loved ones died from this. I can recognize people dying from a, a virus and still look at things logically. People are going to die of different things every day. Okay. And on all these posts, instead of focusing on the vaccine, I started, there was a list that came out of vitamins that people should be taking to help fight some of this stuff off. And they talk, they look at you like you're some kind of witch doctor or they respond to you like you're a witch doctor. I'm like, wait, it's just, a, it's a vitamin. It's a supplement. It, it, it helps boost your immune system to help fight this stuff. And <laughs> like I said, it, and, and I told somebody the other day, I said, I, my neck is constantly sore now. And I think it's because I'm walking around shaking my head 
every minute of the day that I'm awake, just watching people and how they're reacting to things. And I, I guess it is what it is, but I don't think we should stop fighting against it and, and speaking out against it because there's a lot of people screaming right now, but there are people out there listening for that whisper. Jessica Green told me that on, a, on an episode we did, and she, she said that, and I said, that's so true because there, I, I get messages, and you may as well, that people are, are wanting to know more about what we're talking about because they're tired of people screaming over everybody trying to get their point across because there are people out there with some logical ideals that they're wanting to hear this as well, you know, and just even if they don't agree with it, they want to hear a different perspective just to check it out themselves. And those are really who we're focusing on, I think, at this point. Yeah. yeah, And I've got some good recent examples of that that are very hopeful and encouraging. So I mentioned that I did this interview with uh, Vin Armani and we talked about a lot of the stuff that I just said on that monologue. But I took that interview. It was a long one. It's like three hours, I think. And on my podcast feed, I'm releasing it in sections and I'm going to do like one part of the interview and then an episode that's purely like elaboration and commentary because it was just so... Uh, there's so much depth there that I'm kind of doing a whole episode in between sections to kind of draw that out. But uh, I took the entire interview just by itself and sent it to a few friends of mine. I have this uh, this agorist group basically locally that I've set up recently. And some of those guys are, they're very interested. They've heard Vin Armani, for example, speak on other podcasts and they're interested in this idea. And so I was like, hey, I interviewed this guy. You know, we talked about a lot of these subjects. Will you just listen to this and, you know, give me your input on it? And so they did. They listened to the whole thing, sent it to four people. And one of the guys basically gave me like a two sentence reply. Oh, that was really good. I really enjoyed it. But three of the four, none of them are professing Christians. I think they probably all have some sort of Christianity in their background, but they're definitely not Christians and don't profess to be. But three of the four, they specifically said that the things that I talked about in that interview related to prayer and spirituality really resonated with them and hit home with them. And they want to learn how to do that themselves. And that was not at all something I was expecting to hear from these guys. You know, I thought they'd really latch on to some of these other aspects that we got into the philosophy and the history and the, you know, changes in our culture and all this kind of stuff. But no, they didn't even mention that stuff. You know, of course, uh, it sounded like they were interested in it in general. But what they really commented on and what really hit them was this other part of it where we talked about spirituality and prayer. And the, I, I will say that uh, the guy I was interviewing, I, I don't know if he's a Christian per se, but a lot of what he said was very theologically sound and he knew his Bible very well. And we got into that and he views prayer as being a very important thing. And with me, I am a Christian and I also believe that prayer is a very important thing and that that is something that we need to focus on. But just the fact that you know, three non-professing Christians uh, really resonated with this idea of spirituality and prayer. That means that there are plenty of people out there that are searching for this. They are interested in this. They want to know more about these things. We have this cultural shift to a more, you know, immaterial perspective, like I said. And, and that's something where there's a lot of potential there for true Christianity to really latch on because people are are seeking it they're searching for it they're open to it they're they're actively looking for it and real christianity provides that it provides what the church of woke provides but 
with actual truth and true religion. We will have none of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that that's that's definitely the pushback. And <laughs> it may or may not work out that way. You keep your logic and truth to yourself. We do not want to hear that. Yes. Yes. That's the way people talk. But but <laughs> true Christianity is a spiritual thing. It's an immaterial thing. You can talk about prayer and how it's affecting your life. And, you know, a lot of people say, if you share the gospel, talk about how it's changed your own life. Don't just talk about the facts about Jesus's life. Talk about your own life and how it impacted you. And I think those are the things that are going to win arguments in this context of winning this spiritual battle, because people are searching for spirituality, period. And they're either going to find it with God or they are not. And we represent those who are trying to steer people towards God, to tell them the truth about, about God and about how the world works and what morality is, all of these things. We have answers for that from the Bible and from God. And so these are things that could catch hold. And even the church, the you, know, you could say it's the corrupted church that exists now, cultural Christianity, whatever you want to call it, even them, they are seeking as well. I had two different people in a small group I'm involved with through my church who are, I would say they're statists and they would be probably conservative Republicans. But after kind of the fiasco that was the Trump presidency, they both have reached a point where politics doesn't really have much of a draw for them. They see it as being a sham. They look at Trump and see that most evangelical Christians supported him, but yet Trump is, you know, an idiot. He's a fool by a biblical definition. And he, by a biblical definition, is immoral in many different ways. And so he does not represent true Christianity. And they see that because it is so, so very obvious. And I, I think that's hitting home with the church right now. You have churches shutting down. You have churches with all these different policies regarding distancing and masks. And you have COVID that's accelerating everything in society that's going on. But in the context of the church, people are seeing all these changes. They're seeing the obvious corruption, the obvious problems. They are looking for solutions to that. And back to you know Christian agorism and what we're preaching here, there is a solution there. And so there is a lot of hope that true original Christianity can have a resurgence in the modern time and what we're going through right now, because both the modern cultural church and the secular public, they're both looking for something. And I would say that true Christianity is that something. It at least can be that something. And so I, I am much more hopeful now than I was, say, two years ago because of this. And I think that that is an encouraging message. That's awesome. And I, and I hope these guys that you're talking about, I hope they keep that focus because and I've, I've noticed it some on, on my end as well, but what I'm, what worries me is I'm, over the next four years or two years or whatever until the next election that they will lose that focus and think that, okay, we, if we hear somebody saying some great things, maybe we'll get him in office, that he'll fix things. And instead, you know and you know what I'm saying? So kind of I'll, I'll hope they keep that focus and just keep talking to them. I mean, and just keep doing what you're doing. Cause that's awesome because I think maybe you've had some kind of uh, influence on them. So hopefully they will they will keep that focus. Hey folks, Craig here, and I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. 
I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. Now, before I let you go, I'd like to talk to you about something I heard on your podcast. You, you mentioned your your uh, Agorist group that you have there. And I'm curious, and I've heard it on other podcasts about these freedom cells. Just kind of briefly tell us what that is. And if, is that the same? Is that what you're talking about with your Agorist group? Yes, in a way. So, yeah, the Freedom Cell Network is how I got started with that. And the people that started that have been on a lot of the major podcasts, you know, Tom Woods Show and Free Man Beyond the Wall and a lot of the shows that people in our community listen to. So they've probably at least heard of Freedom Cells. And the idea is that it's this online platform for like-minded, liberty-minded individuals to make some local connections and hook up with other people in your area that are uh, viewing the world the same way that you are. And that's the idea. So I got on there a while ago. There was no group in my area. I figured I might as well just start one. You know, I doubt anything will come of it. But at least if anybody else searches for my town, my area, this will pop up and that'd be cool. And so I started it up and ended up getting a, you know, I would say a decent response, just a few people, but still the, the group itself actually has quite a few members, but as far as local people I've met, it's, it's a handful, but that worked well. And so between that and uh, really just one person that I know in my normal life, it's a guy I work with, and he is very like-minded in all of these things. And he had two friends that were also like-minded, more libertarian types, and also into growing their own food and homesteading and that kind of stuff. And so I ended up getting both of these communities together. So a few of those guys that I had met through my own personal connections and these people on the Freedom Cells Network. And we had we just had a meeting. We all met at a restaurant. I think there were nine of us maybe or so there. And... Most of us had never met each other before, but it was really cool. Like just the fact of sitting down with eight or nine other people that view the world the same way that you do, that get the references you're saying that are not status, not a single one of them that are interested in actually applying agorism to their own lives. I mean, it's just really cool. We could talk about cryptocurrency. We could talk about conspiracies. We could talk about growing a garden, all of these things, because we're all connected and we we have these connections between each other. And it's, it's just really cool. And so that's kind of, um, I don't know, expanded in a way. It's developed in a way that's been going on for a few months now. We've had a few meetings together. And actually, three of the guys from uh, my local group came over to my house today and helped me clear out a fence line where I'm redoing my fence at my property. And we cleared out some brush and ran some new fencing. And you know, that was just really cool. We hung out and had some lunch and it, it was just nice. Like I have these guys now that live close to me that I've met in person. I can talk to. We set up a discord channel where we can have chats and communication 
And on Discord, you can have various basically like chat rooms. So there's one about cryptocurrency, one about gardening, one about, you know, this or that. And so we now have this, you know, I would say small local community of people. And some of the guys, it's most, it's mostly all guys, but probably four or five of them have had their wives come with them and their wives are on board with this stuff as well. So it's men and women that are interested in these things. And we, we formed this kind of local community that we're starting to build out. And it's just, it's really cool in, in a lot of different ways for a lot of different reasons. But I would highly recommend that everyone look into that because having real physical local connections with other people is very important. Having real relationships is something that in the COVID world, now more than ever, is super important to all of us. And if you have a family, getting together with other families, you know, and I would say in a Christian context, ideally, that would be maybe small groups in your church or other Christians. But in, in a more secular standpoint, you could have Agoras to get together. That's the Freedom Cell Network. And this is something that I have seen as being uh, very encouraging and something that is very useful. And it's something that is just very enjoyable to actually meet these people, to build connections, build relationships. And as we're doing things, we're encouraging one another in even just like growing your own food. We've got one guy that's starting a garden this year, one guy that you know has tried gardening once in their life and that's it, but they want to start one next year to we have somebody that has multiple acres as ducks and chickens and all kinds of stuff. And you know, it's this broad array, but like for example, at one of the last meetings, one of the guys was like, Hey, I'm wanting to start a garden. You know, what would you guys recommend for different plants to try and veggies to grow in our area? What works well here? And so, you know, we can talk about that and help each other out. And if someone's doing something like I was doing this fencing project today, I have people that I can call on that'll come and help me. And if they need help, I'll come and help them. And so it's this idea of building a system within a system. It's a biblical idea. It's an agorist idea. And it's something that I would recommend everybody try to do to some extent in some way in your own local area, because it is very rewarding. I love that. And I, like I said, when I first heard about it, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to. I think I heard it on a couple of different ones. And I heard you mention it on yours as well. But when I first heard it, I was like, this sounds like something that could really work. So it, it really intrigued me and I wanted to learn more about it. And I hadn't had time to look into it, but it's something that I would be interested in doing around here as well. So that being said, why don't you go ahead and do you have anything you want to add before I let you go? I want you to let you plug anything you want to plug and then I'll let you get out of here. Um, yeah, yeah. Just to, to wrap up that last little bit on freedom cells and local networks. Uh, one of the big positives there is that it's a decentralized system. And so anybody that's familiar with blockchain and cryptocurrencies that should definitely hit home for you. But the idea is that there's not one centralized person or platform or group. And that's actually why with my group, I've got local guys, I've got Freedom Sales guys. We have all exchanged numbers with each other so we can text or call each other. We're on Discord together. So it's many different platforms that we're using, even within our own one little cell, so to say. And so it's a very decentralized system and a way to organize so that if there is mass censorship, if you're kicked off of, you know, if we're kicked off of the Freedom Cells Network, if they're 
web hosting uh, service decides not to host them anymore, or if Discord shuts down because you know we got flagged on a keyword for anarchism or something, you know, whatever. We have all of these other different ways of connecting. We're starting to know where each other live. Like I had guys at my house today. So uh, worst case scenario, we have some crazy apocalyptic scenario. You know, we still know where each other are. I've got one guy that lives three minutes away from me. And that was really cool to find somebody that's, you know, one street down. But the nature of an organization like that or organizing people like that is one that is decentralized, which has a lot of benefits in this current age of censorship and mass control. And what I would guess would be much more of a police state and surveillance state that we are coming into. And so there's a lot of reasons why organizing in that way is very beneficial. And then I I guess that pretty much wraps up all that. But uh, if I may plug my things then, um, my show is the Our Foundations podcast, and you can find that on any podcast player, or you can go to ourfoundations.podbean.com. You can stream it or download it from there. And I will say that uh, I've heard from some people that uh, on their podcast players, it only goes back so far. Well, especially season one of my show, it's chronological. So ideally, you start at the very beginning. And so if you can't get that on your podcast player, you can go to the website and it has all of the episodes there. But um, in general, the first step, the first season is a chronological view of the evolution of the systems of our society. And then season two is this uh, reformation parallel of the shifts going on then to the shifts going on now. Had a lot of interviews that I did with people at the beginning of that. And then I'm wrapping up an interim series where I covered kind of some current events, some random things, cryptocurrencies, homesteading, all kinds of stuff. Some of my personal opinions and things I'm doing. And um, kind of the shift from that into season three is this Vin Armani interview that I mentioned and doing my own kind of deep dive in between those and really uh, expanding and elaborating on all of these concepts, tying all these things together with what's going on in today's world. And season three is going to be a look at the early church and biblical teaching and how that correlates with the ideas of anarchy and agorism and uh, the way that you and I and probably your listeners view the world. And how does that relate to original Christianity and looking at the early church of the as the example of that? And so that will be season three of my show. So I think there's a lot of overlap between what your listeners are interested in and what I'm covering. So I would definitely encourage them if they are interested in those things to uh, check it out. Awesome. I really appreciate what you're doing. I like what you're doing. I've enjoyed listening to your show as well. And um, keep it up, man. And I want to have you back on again, maybe by getting me a freedom cell thing started here in the Memphis area, we can collaborate a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd love to do that. All right, buddy. I'm gonna let you get out of here and let you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about the Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Thank you.